Limitless Conversation is available on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts. This is the Limitless Conversation podcast with Joseph Jones and Matt Lacaz. Hey, Joe. So we want to welcome all of our listeners in today. We're going to spend some time talking about the restaurant industry during the time of COVID-19 with our guest, the owner of South Mellis Deli in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. Absolutely, Matt. Really excited to be joined by John and Mary Runnels. Thank you guys so much for joining us on the podcast. Thank you, Matt, Joseph. We appreciate this opportunity. Yeah, we're excited to be here. Thanks, guys. Oh, it's definitely a pleasure for us as well. At the outset, guys, I wanted to ask you to please tell us about the history of the South Mouth Deli. So, actually, in January, uh, South Mouth Deli celebrated its fifth year in existence. it has been a kind of a center stone in the New Point Shopping Center there in West Hattiesburg. And, uh, well, it's been a fun ride. It's been a fun ride. Sure. Why did you decide to buy the South Mouth Deli? So, guys, I've been in this industry for over 30 years. Uh, everything from... Oh, Charlie's to Chili's to Crescent City Purple Parrot. I've been dragging my family through multiple states, running, opening, and doing all that. I got to a point where I was tired of kind of working for somebody else. And so I started trying to think of the future and take my experiences uh, through all these years and I guess kind of put some roots down, Um, give myself a vehicle to be creative again, because part of our industry has gotten away from being creative. And uh, so it was kind of a, that was really much the big drive. Right. What was your vision for the South Mouth Deli when you bought it? So when I bought it, 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 I'm not going to say that it was neglected, but it needed some love. And, you know, I, I really just wanted that location out west because everything located in the center of the city or right around the interstate was pretty much kind of big corporate, I guess. Not, not, not that there's anything wrong with big corporate, but I wanted something that was more of a, a local flair where I was trying to source local products, uh, give a place for people to, to feel welcome and, and kind of have that uh, extended workplace at home. And uh, a lot of my business, honestly, is, is lunchtime business where uh, the amazing number of businesses in West Hattiesburg really didn't have a place to go for lunch. And so uh, giving them the opportunity to come in uh, from vegetarian items to, you know, the comfort food items, uh, the chance to kind of play around with uh, vegetarian, vegan, meatless products just to give people a choice. You know, I don't want to be the food police, but I want to find the things that give people uh, kind of a happiness. You know, a restaurant should be an oasis for people. You, you know, if you're having a rough day, you come in, you want to kind of escape it for a short period of time, 
So I'm going to try to facilitate something where you come in, you get a good meal, you get what you want. Either it's peace and quiet or you're with friends and having a social moment before you have to go back and kind of go back into the grind. So that's kind of where it stemmed from, and that's what I push for every day. Yeah, and I, I think that is such a great point right there because I feel like, and we'll get into talking about coronavirus here in a little bit, but I think that is what we've all been missing during this time, right? That that little bit of flair that you talk about, that people come in to gotta, kind of get a release from, from their life, right, for just a little bit. So true. And, and to hear stories, like, it's like I'm a bartender in the sense that I hear everybody's woeful tales, and, and it's just that. There's so many people out there. It's it's that you know you, you think you go through life and you're in control, and then all of a sudden, in one fell swoop, bam! No one's in control. There's a lot of I don't knows, and there was a lot of knee jerk reactions from the people above us that were in the government side who just didn't know, and, and you know there was a lot of impacts and effects that took place from that. But now. Here we are, and you're right. There's a lot of people that you know they're they're confused and in, in that they don't know what they want. They really miss that. They community. miss they miss being together. They want to they want to sit around with their friends. They want to enjoy a good meal. They want to visit. They want to relax. They want to forget about all the, the worries that are outside those doors. For sure, for sure. I mean, returning to restaurants and the dining experience, I feel like that brings about that integral semblance of normalcy for our society. I have, guys, just a couple of more questions kind of about the backdrop surrounding the restaurant and your vision for the restaurant. And then I definitely want to continue the conversation about life in a COVID-19 world. But first and foremost, had you always dreamed of owning a restaurant? Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna answer that. I worked for um, I worked for a couple of, of friends in different industries that owned their own businesses, and and I saw how hard they worked, and I thought there is no way I'm gonna I'm gonna own a business. Absolutely not. It's too much hard work, but John, John had this passion and he wanted to do it. And so I said, okay, well, you know, let's, let's go for it. And I'm going to tell you that when he, you know, when he's had a bad day, I'm like, no, man, we can do this. Like this, I love this business. I love, I love being in the hospitality industry. I love making people happy. I love, I love owning my own business and um, and I really thought I would never say that, and and I think John sometimes sits back and, and laughs. I definitely laugh, that's for sure. And he's like, "Yeah." <laughs> I think in a long, I always wanted this. You know, you go back to thirty years ago. Uh, you know, the idea of being a chef was kind of this new wave, kind of cool thing to do, uh, but. To do what we do, it's, it's kind of funny where I look at like an 8 or a 12 or a 16 hour day is just normal. Most people out there kind of end their life at about 7 hours a day and, and can't hang any longer. So it's definitely a special breed of person that wants this, but literally 
from day one. I knew at some point I wanted my own, and I wanted to have just more than one. I wanted the ability to to um, empower others to grow, uh, give them a chance to you know, spread their wings and, and move on. I had so many kids to hear the started as dishwashers and now they're general managers of outback steakhouses and, and other concepts out there and it's fun to have conversations with them and, and see how they're doing so you know, it's 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 been more than just hey i'm not here to make money it's, it's a lifestyle so yes well, from day one well that's just that's just awesome tell us about some of your favorite entrees on your menu Thank you. 
menu 2.0. We did menu 2.0, and I'm gearing up for menu 3.0 as we continue to grow this. Uh, I don't, don't have it on the menu per se, but that doesn't mean that my regulars who don't show up can't get what they want. So, you know, it's there. It's kind of like secret menu. You hear those plate that. Those are those are always the best items on a menu. The secret okay. items. You know, you know that special connection for those really truly passionate fans of yours that can come in and go, I want the John Adcock plate, and then there we go. <laughs> And then everybody wants to get their own button. Yeah, everybody, the deal, we have a group that comes in the morning and they, they kind of have created their own, what they like to eat for breakfast. And their goal is to get their own button on the POS. So when they come in, the, whoever the cashier is, just push that button instead of having to ring up an item individually. Yeah. Well, no, that definitely sounds delicious. Um, I agree with Matt. You know, I'd definitely like to try that in the near future myself, and I'm sure that a lot of our listeners will be uh, equally enticed. Now, we all know, guys, how restaurants have adapted to curbside and takeout in the midst of the pandemic. And more recently, you've seen restaurants kind of slowly start to reopen as far as the dining interior experience with social distancing guidelines. Take us through what that process has been like for you. Wow. So to take a roller coaster ride to not spending the next hour ranting about life, in a nutshell, I think our industry is in for a significant behavioral change for our customer. And when all this went down, uh, you know, in the past, many concepts were set up to be congested, kind of packed together in order to maximize revenue. And, and, and I mean, if you think about that, you know, with costly rents, the high cost of build-outs, labor, and things like that, we were forced to have to evolve and adapt. And so now um, we're looking at systems. So uh, think about this we're the only industry out there that has a state-run department the department of health that ensures that we follow standards through inspections through guidelines and all that a lot of people take that for granted yes you can walk in and you can see the big a and the health inspection that people proudly display or you know you got that b it kind of sits down a little bit lower uh, but when it comes down to today and now um you know, as an operator, we've really had to, you know, the first thing we had to do was make it more visible, our safety first mantra. Uh, I mean, it was significant adjustments to floor plans, to how we do dine-in. Uh, you know, some places are better suited for this and others aren't. You notice that, you know, the fast food joints that were already kind of geared for drive through we're making a killing. I don't think you can get through Chick-fil-A uh, fast enough, yet, you know, you're doing something right when 70 cars are wrapped around the building. But as we have progressed into now inside dining with limitations, uh, you know, we, we've had to spread things out. I mean, I guess, you know, 
given that people want to come back in and, and you know i still get the groups and it breaks my heart when a group of 14 family members come in because first time they've been able to get together and i can only sit six at a table and then they're spaced six feet apart for the next table so uh, it's been tough uh, a lot of thought has had to go into and luckily we were doing this before this took place is in you know to go packaging uh finding the right packages that when I put food in it, that you didn't get this congealed mass at the end of your drive. And so, uh, you know, we've had to really look at what we put on the menu, what it looks like in a to-go box 30 minutes after you get home. Uh, so now you coming in, you're, you're going to see restaurants with hand washing stations or hand sanitizing stations. You might even get to the point where, you know, you'll have a brand ambassador standing at the door greeting you and explaining how it kind of works. In a, that, you know, we're still doing social distancing. This is what our menu looks like. These are things we're doing. Uh, it, it, it's, it keeps you up at night, but at the same time, it, if, you, if you do this right, you, you give the right impression, we're, we're going to succeed with this. So... Uh, I'm looking forward to see how long this, you know, half dining room lasts before we go back to the full dining room. And then even then, do you really go back to what you did before? Uh, a lot of the what ifs, what's going to happen in the fall? Does this reappear again? And if you follow history, that's what the Spanish flu did. And it was the second round that did more damage. So I don't know. Uh, as for right now, though, I'm going to give you the best menu I can. I'm going to go out of my way to show you that I am doing everything I can to keep you safe. Uh, we're working a lot on touchless payments. Uh, we're trying to find those POS systems that will allow people to actually order online. We're doing a little bit of that through Touch Bistro. Uh, allows people to order toast. Touch yeah, I'm sorry. Whoops. Uh, I use Touch Bistro. We have toast. Uh, give everybody that chance because there's some people that uh, right now, you know, they don't want to get it near anything. And there's other people that feel bulletproof and want to sit at the table with 50 people and swap cups. So, <laughs> you know, I don't know. We're uh, we're gonna do the best we can though. I, yeah, I, I think you're, you're spot on right there. Right? It, I think the funny thing about Corona is that it's very polarized, right? The same number of people that are ultra protective are the same number on the other side that are really uh, that, that are really loose about it, right? And, and they're not worried at all. And I think the hard part in, in the restaurant industry or any industry really is how do you walk the middle between the people that are scared and the people that are less concerned? Right, because to this day, Myself, and I'm close with a lot of other restaurant owners, and because and, you know, again, a lot of these kids work for me in the past, so you know, we communicate. There's many of us who still do half of our sales and curbside, and the other half is dining. Uh, so you know, to adapt, I'll continue to do curbside and have no problem doing curbside um, until either it kind of dwindles down and gets to where it's not. Uh, feasible enough, but honestly I, I, I don't see that happening. Yeah, I don't think that curbside I don't think curbside is gonna go away anytime soon. 
Well, as we search for a positive for the last few months, you know, you said that you've had conversations with other restaurant owners. What good things could come out of COVID-19 for the restaurant industry? What did we learn from this? Uh, wow. I think, I mean, I think one of the things that, the, that in general, the restaurant industry can pivot. I mean, they know, everybody that, that works in the restaurant industry knows that uh, one day you, you've got this situation and the next day you've got that. And, and I, I have seen some incredible things happen in the restaurant industry to go from, if you had a fine dining restaurant or, or maybe even you had a buffet and now you can't do, you, you know, you can't have a two hour sit down meal or you can't go up to a buffet and, and get your food. The restaurant has figured out how to adapt and how to meet the customer's needs to keep the customer safe and to still be able to keep their doors open. I mean, the, the restaurant industry is creative and adaptable beyond um, most other places. Um, and I, I don't see as many restaurants closing their doors forever um, as maybe people thought was going to happen. So I think one of the, the cool things that I saw as a, um, as a customer of the restaurant industry is that for once, the smaller hometown businesses, the smaller hometown restaurants had an advantage to the larger corporations. You know, like we live in this world where the larger corporate chains, they roll out these marketing uh, initiatives and like they're very cohesive with everything that they do. Right. But the smaller local restaurant chains during Corona were quicker to adapt to new curbside methods, right? And like ways to pay that people didn't touch. So I thought for once, it was really nice to see that the, the smaller uh, local uh, restaurants had a one-up advantage to the more corporate chains. Absolutely. And I think a lot of that came from my ability, uh, honestly, to uh, simply simplify my menu. And when I say that, you know, I was forced to shrink it. And then I was able to stick with my best-selling items. But then in many cases, I discovered that it was really everybody's desire for comfort foods. So when the pop-up phenomenon came in the beginning of all this, where uh, let's take a community. So here in Mississippi, uh, a uh, uh, large community, you know, they would have a liaison person and that person would set up that on today it was going to be South Mouth Deli and maybe somewhere else. And so people would call us and get, uh, we would menu items or even family, family meals, you know, for four people. And we were able to, to be quick about this. And so, uh, for us, it, it gave us a chance to, uh, you know, bring, well, honestly, it was just family members. I hate to say it that way. And that uh, I'm staring at kids who couldn't work, but I, I brought family members in. I, I dragged kids from other states home while they were in college, just to, you know, obviously be home, be safe, let's see what happens. And then I put it to work, but we were able to. Uh, and we were able to rewrite those systems for the way things were done. We didn't have, you know, it was, we could kind of do everything on the fly. And figure out this is how we need to. This is how we need to do this. We didn't have to wait for it to come down from corporate to tell. Well, here's the new menu, and here's how you're going to 
uh, present this and here's how you need to or what you can do and this is what you can't right. do and, and all that. It, it really lended to the flexibility for us to you know, accommodate what was taking place in our community. Uh, I think in the future, what you're going to really see though is, uh, especially with the local folks, is we're going to continue to be innovative, but honestly, we're going to keep an eye on the simplicity side of it because uh, it was difficult there for a month or two when you know the food supply system is two channels and one channel feeds all of your grocery stores the other channel pretty much fed the restaurant industry and you pour a story of you know 30,000 gallons of milk were dumped in a field because it had nowhere to go or mountains of potatoes were just dumped on the side of the road and you know uh, slaughtering of, of these animals well, we shut our system down. You, you kind of destroy our capability of, of getting ready-made products that you know were being designed for us to to do this. So now, um, I, you know, for me, it's really made me look at what my menu consisted of before this started. Because honestly, I had a two-page menu, guys. It was a front and back. There was a thousand things on there. I gave everything from. You're vegetarian to, uh, look, I just want mashed potatoes, gravy, and a uh, big old chopped steak. And, and so it's, it's, it's allowing us to adapt streamlined. and streamline. Yeah. So uh, corporate, you know, it takes them months. They have to get to Wall Street. They can't do things. I mean, they're going to survive. You know, they've got pockets deeper than a lot of us do. But for us, locally, it's just going to come down to the ability to simplify uh and, and the one thing that, you know, that I see that the local people can answer to what the customer wants a lot quicker than corporate can. Right. Yeah, no, and, and I'll tell you kind of what I see with it. I completely agree with everything y'all have said. Um, what I've noticed is on the corporate side, they are going to address the issues that face the restaurant industry by cutting costs, right? That's always where they go first. Like, how do we uh, increase drive through and cut overhead or cut uh, labor, you know, but the, the hometown restaurants, they're going to solve the problem through ingenuity and creativity, right? And, and really getting to know their customers. And, and I think that is always better than just cutting costs across the board. Absolutely. I've, I've watched many operations through the deck who did that and, 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 you know, great concepts at the beginning. But then it's like the bean counter got charged and, you know, well, let's stop doing that. We don't need to do that. We, we basically, they, they cut the soul out. It looks great on, on a spreadsheet. Somebody in Wall Street says, yes, we like it. And Wall Street's not there for the long term. They don't really care what you do a year from now. They might not own your stock anymore kind of thing. And so uh, it, it was a big beast for these large chains. And you see it a lot now. Uh, a lot of these big groups that are uh, having to go bankrupt, um, and I don't want to name any of them, but you know, if you in Hattiesburg or driving up and down 98, you're going to start seeing a lot more of these chain maybe shut down in these smaller towns. Not going to go anywhere nationally, but uh, you're right; they're going to cut cut costs in a kind of a mid-sized town like us. You know, we're like a B market for some of these places. They're going to shut out all their B market locations, stick with 
DA markets because they still get the drive. And um, so it, I guess in retrospect, as again, a local owner, uh, I'm going to survive because I can adapt quicker. And, and uh, there we go. I think those are all such uh, valid points. Accommodation for customers on the local level, um, adaptability, all of those things are key. I mean, there's going to be so many long lasting impacts, but it sounds like y'all are so well positioned to be able to adjust accordingly. As we move forward toward the conclusion of this interview, John and Mary, uh, one of our favorite segments on each episode is we like to play what we call a lightning round where we have two or three rapid fire questions for our guests for fun at the end. And uh, I think this is going to be very enjoyable for our listeners. The first question I have for you guys, what is your favorite food of all time? Uh, I tell you that right now, bacon. <laughs> Shrimp. Shrimp and bacon together? Shrimp, bacon. Who would, have, who would have thought that combination would work out, you know? Uh, i tell you the one food I don't like at all are olives. Oh, that's, yeah. I always joke if I'm shipwrecked on an island and all I have are olive trees, I'm just going to have to swim to the next island. But it's the olive theory because I love them and you hate them. That's why we work. Uh, oh. so, so we'll have to take this discussion off offline because you know to a vegetarian olives are like heaven right i mean with all the healthy fats and the taste and flavor so we'll we'll have to discuss that offline at some point <laughs> how often do you guys watch the food network if at all oh my god before all this took place i, I had basically that channel the weather channel and then uh occasionally uh the, the history history channel but uh, I used to watch all of them it was so fun because a lot of those shows um, were created to showcase local people and you got to see what was working in, in other places uh, you know my background is, is is as a chef I, I've got a good understanding of food but to see people do things to see how they were doing uh, to, to get that one place that's, you know, kind of this kooky old home layout. And it's not this cookie cutter mass produced chain restaurant you walk in. It, it was just fun to see them, see what they were doing and hear their stories and in a way celebrate. But then this took place. And I guess part of me was spending so much time in the restaurant, even though I wasn't open, you know, cleaning and looking at the things that I can do. And if I can get, this point where am I going and so I, I think eventually I don't I was gonna say I don't think we've watched the Food Network in, in two or three months yeah now. probably so well, let me let me let me ask a follow-up question on that I know this is our lighting round so we move quick but so when you look at the Food Network is there a chef that stands out in y'all's opinion as very overrated more hype than substance and then on the flip side one that is very underrated that you guys think is truly wonderful at their craft. Wow. So, you know, um, that could lead to, to, to some interesting conversations, I guess. Lightning round. Lightning round. I know. So when you start taking some of these big name chefs that got on there, I, I'm not necessarily a big fan of, of, of them. Um, 
you know, they, they found a, a, a gimmick and they, they ran that gimmick. Uh, so I, to not, to not put myself in a spot, I can't name that person in particular, but, uh, there are a few chefs that I've come across in the past. Uh, and I've really enjoyed Wolfgang Puck. If you really sit back and see what he did, uh, he's pretty much the father of what has become, uh, the dining that we do today when he created his restaurants in uh, Los Angeles, because back then you would go to a restaurant and it was all stuffy and, and suits and ties and captain service where eight people were serving you. And, and then you had, you know, hot dog stands and he brought in that fine dining food on, you know, simple wood tables, the simplicity and allowed us to come in and be able to sample those foods and go, oh my gosh, this is the best I've ever eaten, and it doesn't cost you your paycheck. And so I always see Wolfgang Puck as, as, as my man. He is that mentor. Very cool. Very cool. Well, no, that's definitely an interesting perspective. Well, guys, uh, we got to leave it right there, but have immensely enjoyed this conversation and interview. Uh, John and Mary, owners of the South Mouth Deli in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having us. I appreciate this opportunity. Love you guys. Love everybody. All right. Well, we will see everybody right here next time on Limitless Conversation. As always, you can find us on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify.